today. Uh, in this hour, uh, in an interview earlier this week, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis doubled down yet again on Florida's new black history uh, school curriculum, claiming it is not political at all. We've been involved in education, not indoctrination, close quote. Uh, that's his new argument, that what they're doing in Florida is education, uh, not indoctrination. Vice President Kamala Harris rejected DeSantis's request to debate him on the state's new black history curriculum and derided the governor in a visit to Florida several days ago, saying, and I quote, there is no roundtable, no lecture, no invitation we will accept to debate an undeniable fact. There were no redeeming qualities of slavery. We would not stop calling out and fighting back against extremist so-called leaders who try to prevent our children from learning our true and full history. Close quote. Those are the words of Vice President Kamala Harris. As news broke this week that some Florida schools are now even cutting Shakespeare. They're going after Shakespeare now to comply with DeSantis's legislation on teaching material. Some wonder aloud, as we will in this hour. If this attack on history is only the beginning in right wing efforts to fully erase essential culture and literary components from the educational canon, from the educational experience. Into this conversation comes Ellis Coates, best-selling author, longtime columnist and contributing editor for Newsweek magazine, longtime chair of the editorial board of the New York Daily News and founder of the organization Renewing American Democracy to share his thoughts on the implications of these recent developments. Ellis Coast, welcome back to Tavis Smiley. How are you, my friend? I'm great, and Tavis, it's great to be with you. And before we start the conversation, I just have to congratulate you uh, on your expansion, uh, your national syndication. You've obviously been toiling at this for a long time. Uh, you've been diligently uh, going about the people's business for a long time. So congratulations, my brother. You were kind. I appreciate you. Thank you for saying that. And uh, just honored to have you uh, as a friend all these years and as a, as a source. Uh, and uh, I'm glad to have you back on our program today. Um, th- this story is getting more and more troubling. And I, I was in a conversation, conversation with some friends at some event the other night. Um, and I'm, I'm sensing that people are getting tired of hearing DeSantis, getting tired of hearing about DeSantis. And they're kind of shrugging this thing off. And I had to I had to say to them, hey, 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 we, we can't shrug this off because if you know anything about history, this is how it begins. They they come after reading material first. They come after the media next. Uh, it's all an effort uh, to sort of push back against the truth or truth tellers in a particular society, uh, in a particular democracy. And so this stuff is really concerning for me. It's one thing uh, to go after black books and black authors. But now you have um, uh, people uh, who are afraid to teach Shakespeare. And I don't value Shakespeare any more than I value Toni Morrison. I don't value Shakespeare any more than I value, you know, any number of other great black writers. The point is that if they go after Shakespeare, that sort of changes the game. So this stuff's getting scarier and scarier as I see it. But how do you read it, Ellis Coast? I read it as something that's not new. And, and by that, I mean... Ever since the Civil War ended in 1865, there have been people trying to refight the Civil War, mm-hmm. and I think, and I and I think this is the latest articulation of that. Uh, is I mean, it comes from this philosophy that, best as I can figure it, that you can prevent the future by rewriting and then trying to return to the past, mm-hmm. uh, and it ignores the whole idea that history only goes one way. And if you don't mind, let me just talk about history just for just a brief second. Sure. 
Um, I mean, Andrew Johnson, uh, who obviously succeeded um, Lincoln, um, in 1866 vetoed the Civil Rights Act, the first Civil Rights Act after the Civil War. His argument was that this act is giving blacks more rights than whites have, and it's unfair to whites. So we can't have this damn thing. <laughs> um, he he also, you know, the same year, reversed um, General General William Sherman's field order number fifteen, the one that uh, gave blacks the forty acres. There was no mule included, but they mm. gave blacks, you know, <laughs> the forty acres, yeah. uh, which was land, you know, that had been won, you know, during the Civil War. Part of some of it in Florida, actually. Uh, he reversed that. Uh, after you know, basically a year, um, and said, "Forget it. We aren't going to do this." I think that what, yeah, it, that it's it's important to understand the Santas in light of that history because he's making the same arguments. He's he's he, he you know he he is trying to rewrite history in order one to make whites feel more comfortable. He's, right. he's explicitly said that you know we can't do things that are going to make whites feel him mean to say whites but he mm-hmm. clearly meant whites he'll sure. feel guilty about the past um and it's it's reminiscent so much of in in, in the early uh, 1870s you know you used the word uh re- redeem or redemption a few a second or two ago i mean but, but there's a movement the, the redemption movement in the south uh which was all about the celebration of white supremacy and the removal of rights for blacks that happened under Reconstruction, and and they got their way. I oh, mean, in, in 1877, uh, after the presidential election, part of the deal you know, that uh, gave that election to Rutherford Hayes was that they end Reconstruction. And let's hold that thought one second. I, I want to when we come forward, um, I want to I want to probe more, actually hear more about this redemption movement that you reference. I want to I want to come straight to that. I also want to talk more about um, this notion of education versus indoctrination. Just getting started with Ellis, Ellis Close on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. I guess in uh, this half hour is Ellis Coase. You're listening to Tavis Smiley, and I'm glad about it. Um, Ellis and I are talking about, in case you've just tuned in, uh, these efforts, um, doubling down is Ron DeSantis in Florida uh, on suggesting that what they're doing there is education, not indoctrination. But there are now schools in Florida uh, that are cutting Shakespeare out of their curriculum uh, in an effort to uh, adhere uh, to his legislation on teaching material. So this stuff's getting uglier and scarier, as I said earlier to Ellis. It's one thing to, to do away with black books. I mean, that we, we, we've always been easily dismissed as, as black folk in this country. But when you start, you know, being scared to teach Shakespeare, uh, that portends something different to my mind. Ellis, you were breaking down, though, and I'm sorry we had to, had to step aside for a second, but you were breaking down this notion of, 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 of redemption uh, back in the day. Uh, so f- finish that point because it was getting good to me. Sure. I mean, going back all the way to the early 1870s, you know, less than a decade after the end of the Civil War, white Southerners were trying to stage a comeback. And a huge part of this comeback, of this comeback was, a, was the redemption movement. And the redemption movement um, principally was a redefense of slavery. It was, an, it was an argument that the South had always been a, a moral uh, and decent place, that slavery 
was a positive good, that it was that, that it was a benevolent institution, a paternalistic institution that brought social and economic benefits to black people, that it was an important part of civilization. Uh, what's eerie about that is that you're, you're hearing echoes of that in this new nonsense you know, that they are coming up with um, as they try to ban um, standard African-American history, where they're arguing that there were certain benefits uh, to slavery mm-hmm. for African-Americans, you know, that, that uh, the enslaved people learned skills that they could, that they could later use um, in their work in, in society. I mean, it's, it's, it's eerie how closely they track the movements that the white races in the South who were trying to reinstitute slavery under a different name you know, came up with. Um, and I think you're absolutely right to be disturbed by what's happening in Florida, because it's not just on the issue of race, as you point out, that they are trying to rewrite history. Um, it's, uh, it's across the curriculum. I mean, the, 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 um, the American, African-American history AP courses are basically banned there now, but they can't teach psychology either, mm-hmm. um, because psychology gets into areas um, that have to do with gender and sex and stuff that they don't want. Um, they're teaching Shakespeare, as you as you as you noted, um, just in excerpts where they can cut out the parts they don't like. Uh, this is not education, you know. It, it, it is, you know, the very thing that they are projecting onto others. It's an indoctrination. Mm-hmm. It's trying to change re- reality, or, or at least the understanding of reality, uh, and it's trying to indoctrinate this next generation with a set of ideas which would make them less challenging of institutions of repression. Mm. Let, let me let me ask a question I've never asked of you before, and I want to just get your, your your take on this. Why do you think this particular issue, um, we're talking now about education, um, mm-hmm. is 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 so ripe for uh, political bastardization, if I can put it that way? I mean, there's some issues. Sure. I mean, you've been covering this for years. There there's some issues that you can advance that work politically. You know, we we call them trial balloons, right? You you float something mm-hmm. and you see whether it works, and if it works, then you you, you run with it. Um, they floated this, this, this some time ago, and apparently it worked well enough for them to continue, you know, drilling down on it and doubling down on it and tripling down on it, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you think this particular issue and this broad issue of what's happening in education is working so well for them, or at least appears to be something they're going to ride politically? Why, 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 why is it right for the picking? Um, fear. Um, and let me, let me expand on that. Sure. Uh, and, and and the second word that I will use is demographics. Mm-hmm. We are, what has boosted the whole rise of Trump uh, and would be Trump pets, I guess, for lack of, for lack of a better word, <laughs> you know, is is this idea that whites are losing their country, that whites are losing control, um, and not just whites, but that you know, but that along with whites losing control, the very ideas they 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 hold dear are also losing their grip on people. Um, and so you have you know this war against because you have to have to remember. I mean the the, the position that the Sanders has taken and his platform is not just you know anti-black history; it's what he calls anti-woke. Mm-hmm. So anti anything that challenges the establishment, anti anything 
that moves you from the past into the future. But the, but the big thing is that, you know, we've had projections for a while now uh, about whites becoming a minority in this country sometime in 2040 or 2055, depending upon how you do the projections. I, I, I think we can get into that, that discussion because I think a lot of that's nonsense, but it doesn't mean that whites aren't afraid of that. Um, the election of, of Obama uh, deepened that fear. Um, and the arguments of Trump from the beginning, you know, when he, you know, descends um, on his magic uh, escalator and begins to attack Mexicans and begins to attack, you know, the violence in cities that were presumably caused by blacks and other people of color, is all about this huge fear of whites losing control. Um, there, as you as, as you you know well know, there's a lot of discussion. How serious it is, another is another issue. But there's a lot of discussion now about the whole issue of reparations, particularly mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. Um, once you rewrite history, there's no need to talk about reparations mm. because slavery was a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, what is there a need to repair? Uh, and so, a lot of this is justifying inaction on a number of fronts by basically trying to to create a picture of the past um, that is inaccurate. Yeah. But I think it goes even deeper than that. I think it's, you know, if you don't know history, if you don't know facts, if you don't know how to analyze information, uh, then you don't know how to be a critical thinker. And, uh, and a lot of this hysteria that fuels this new right-wing movement uh, depends on people being stupid. Um, people not knowing history, um, people not knowing reality, um, and not being able to critically think yeah. about how you make a better reality. Yeah. There are two or three things that came to mind while you were speaking. First of all, let me just say that's a powerful frame. Um, we always want to get our frame right. And I never thought about it in that particular way, but that's a, that's a, it's a brilliant point that if you can rewrite history, then there's no need for reparations. Uh, there's, there's nothing to repair if slavery was a good thing. Powerful, powerful point, Ellis. I never quite thought about it in that way, but I'm glad you brought that forward uh, in the way that you did. But there are a couple of things that ran through my mind while you were talking. One is a question. Um, do you believe, you mentioned Donald Trump uh, and Obama. Mm-hmm. Does Trump even happen if he is not preceded by Barack Obama? And I know you take my point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the answer is no. I wow. mean, it, it, wow, you, wow, 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 I mean, wow, wow. I mean, I mean, I'm, I mean, I think Trump happens in some form, right. and, I, and I and I think the kickback happens in some form. But Trump himself, what gave him um, so much? Um, first of all, oxygen in the beginning mm-hmm. was his attacks on Obama. Mm-hmm. You know, his his argument basically that Obama has somehow sneaked in from Kenya. You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what launched his political career, right? Um, and he spent you know a, two years or more making this argument, claiming he had investigators going down to Hawaii to prove that Obama was not born there. So, so in order for Trump to get to where he was, he needed an Obama to push back against. Mm-hmm. But, but I think even without Trump, you would have. Around this time, rising people uh, who have latched on to racial progress, who are ra- who, who who have latched on to 
um, the liberalization of certain um, thoughts to say, wait a minute, right. you know, we need to push back against this because, to repeat what I started off with, there's, a, there's this huge fear among many whites, you know, that we're losing our country, and yeah. it coincides with, the, as you very well know, with the rise of well, white nationalism, with the rise of violent attacks, et cetera, et cetera. So it comes together. It, you know, the, the movement would have happened with or without Trump, yeah. but it wouldn't have been a Trumpian movement. It would have been a slightly different movement. We agree on that. Um, uh, not that we have to, uh, but I, I don't believe and never will believe as long as I live that Trump would have been present in that moment um, to, to win that election. Uh, had he not been preceded by one Barack Obama, it just wouldn't have happened in that way. And so I think we, I think you're right about that. The other thing I thought about while you were talking moments ago is how you read the fact that the ideas, some of these crazy ideas that Ron DeSantis has 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 advanced, has advanced, the ideas have have taken off, but he has not. How do you read that? <laughs> I think that's a very simple answer. He is just a bad candidate. Okay. You know. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, he's he's. I, I heard an example or 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 analogy the other day that I thought was really uh, really appropriate. It says, "Man, you, you you have a restaurant, you know, and it's not attracting customers, and and because the food has a reputation of being bad, you know, the the, the chef is an is an idiot, and so the chef fires all the waiters, and then and then and then expects to, to change. I mean, you, you have the idea what's going on with." Uh, with this candidate is, you know, he's changed his campaign manager. He's shaken up his his, his campaign for the third or fourth time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's now going to uh, launch what he's calling some kind of insurgency, which would uh, be interesting to see what that means. Um, but he's never risen anywhere um, within striking distance of Trump. I mean, I think in the last poll I saw, he, he was at um, Trump was at over fifty. He was at like seventeen, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the in, in, in the poll among among likely Republican primary voters. Um, he's just a bad candidate. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's not a good speaker. Uh, he's you know his his launch was a disaster. Um, this this whole anti woke thing. Even Trump himself has said he doesn't understand it mm-hmm. because it's, it's, you know. But it's it's what he's you know he is what he's decided to make the foundation of his campaign and a lot of and it, it just leaves a lot of people scratching their head uh and and the fact that that he is not a good speaker the fact that he is not comfortable doing uh retail politics which is what which everybody has to be if they're sure. going to really be successful in that mm-hmm. i mean i think that people looked at his credentials um I, I, by that i mean his educational credentials sure. you know the, the yale the harvard law thing and said okay you know we're gonna we're gonna get um, a Trump without the baggage of Trump. We're gonna we're gonna you're gonna get a Trump uh, with with um, all of these prestigious um, academic degrees, um, who doesn't say all the stupid things that Trump says. But the fact of the matter is that what made Trump Trump were a lot of the stupid things he said. Yeah. So 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 you you, you don't get a um, a trade up by going to DeSantis, even despite the fact that he went to Harvard Law School. Yeah. Nope. I take your point. Um, I got two minutes left here, and let me give these last two minutes to you. Um, I mentioned earlier that you're the founder of the organization Renewing American Democracy, and I want to close with a point blank and direct question and give you these last two minutes. Is that possible in this moment? Is it possible to renew American democracy? And if so, what does that look like, Ellen? 
Wow, that's a huge question. Let me try to answer it as succinctly as I can. I think we're moving through a period, as I said, as that's comparable very much to the Civil War period, um, where we're looking at fundamental changes in the way that people think and fundamental changes in the way one approach institutions and into things that white folks find very threatening about our democracy. I'm also basically at root an optimist, and I think we're going to get beyond this at some point. Uh, with a lot of trouble, with a lot of pain, with a lot of agony. Uh, so the short answer is yes, I do think we can move to a better version of a democracy. We're never going to be a complete democracy. The United States was never intended to be one. Um, but I think we can get to a much better place than we are. And I think we can get uh, certainly beyond this DeSantis slash Trump foolishness, uh, which is occupying way too much of the national attention at the moment. How close to the edge do you think we are, though? Uh, we, 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 you, you and I both agree that our democracy um, uh, is fragile, but how close to the edge are we in this moment? I think that if you believe that Trump can actually win this next election, we're going to go over the edge. Wow. Um, I, don't, I, I, I don't think he can. Um, and I and, and and I take a certain comfort in that, but I think we're very close, and I and I think we're gonna and I think we're gonna, you know, avoid what an, another Trump administration would mean in the end at the end of the day. From 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 your mouth to God's ears, Ellis, <laughs> he is <laughs> he's a best-selling author, longtime columnist, uh, uh, contributing editor, uh, chairman of the editorial board at the New York Daily News. He's had an astounding and an amazing career. Uh, and founder of the organization Renewing American Democracy. I've known him for years and have always been uh, empowered by conversations with him. He is Ellis Coase. Ellis, thanks for your time, man. We'll do it again somewhere down the road, sir. Always a pleasure, Thomas. You take good care. Likewise. Thank you, sir. Uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. On August the 11th, 1970.